What is good, my Celtics family, Celtics familia? We said our jefe on the last episode, so this is Celtics familia. As usual, I'm your boy Adam Taylor. As usual, this my boy Will Will. Will, man, what's cracking? What up, la familia? I like that. It's a nice way to ring in a Friday here. Yeah, I'm telling you, dude, it's Friday. Well, it's not Friday for me, right? It's closer to Friday for me than it is for you right now. That's true. That's true. But I'm talking, I, I like to speak as a man of the people, be a populist, you know, a, a, a populist a podcast announcement. Yeah, so it's definitely Friday for anybody listening, or at least it's Friday is either here or in the rearview mirror by the time people are listening. We wanted to do something a little bit different today. Usually on a Friday, we'll look at some some trade proposals that people have, like, you know, the analysts have been throwing around. People in the know or people that claim to be in the know. Those anonymous sources be everywhere right now. However... <laughs> We decided to take a break. We've only done one week of it, but man, that stuff's tiring. So we decided to take a break for five minutes. Even the trade yeah. machine needs a day off. I'm telling you, dude, like I I don't really do trades. I don't do, like I've said this on this on the show before, like a big part of me, I've always been very much, you know, when people are like, we need to trade to shake things up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's lazy analysis, like, because you need to look at what other pieces are in the cupboard before a trade. And even I've started to believe that you need to trade at this point. So either I've yeah. got lazy or we've just got to that point. I don't know which one came first. I mean, it's a little bit of both, man. And and you know yeah. what I mean? Because I, I, I agree with you on like just saying you need a trade when things aren't going right. That's, you know, that's that's almost too easy. And you can see that like you could technically make that statement, especially with the Celtics right now this year, every fifth game when things are going well or not well, because that's kind of how it goes. These, you know, handful handful of game stretches, which is why what happens when you're a 500 team. It's just, oh, hey, that lineup wasn't working. Let's let's make a trade. You know, and, it, and it's really not that that simple. There's much more nuance to it. But trade machines are fun, man. I mean, for me, that's, oh, that, for sure. that's part of it is like, you know, I love personally and like my own my own taste of podcasts I listen to. I kind of love some of the off-season podcasts when it's just like, yeah. what are the hypothetical free agent signings or what are the hypothetical trades that could happen? And it just kind of allows you to get very creative with how you envision, you know, the way different things could work out. And sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. And I will say when you're right, it feels good. But when you're wrong, as long as you can admit it, it's okay too. But it feels really good when you get some of them right. But it's, it's part of what makes the NBA so fun is being able to have those discussions. So you see, the thing is that off-season trade talk is completely different for me. Okay. Because that's part of the roster building. Like you're making moves to improve or you're trying to counteract what another team's done during the off-season by doing X, Y, and Z. You know, like they pick up a shooter, so you pick up a Robert Covington. Mm -hmm. And and I like that because it's that chess match, right? It's that front office kind of chess match. I'm cool with that. It's mid-season trade talk that bothers me where it's like, hey, we're going to trade. Dennis Schroeder and a first round pick and we're going to bring back Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant you know that sort of (laughs) anonymous source said that the Celtics are going to move on from Jason Tatum and they want back Alfred Payton you know that sort of like (laughs) the the trade machine said it was successful so I don't know how why people aren't doing this more often you know what I'm saying like on 2k I get that trade done nine times out of ten so why aren't the Celtics? Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's where my issue comes, but I digress. What we, so what we decided to do to avoid these anonymous sources, or more, more importantly, avoid the wrath of the anonymous sources, is to do a mailbag, and that way nobody's anonymous. We know who, who asked the questions, you know who are answering the questions, plus it's been a hot minute since we did a mailbag. So I put the question out 
you know, I put a little tweet out, see what people wanted. Quite honestly, I'm a bit disappointed we only got three responses. Luckily, Instagram <laughs> came through for us. So we have enough questions to give us a solid podcast here. Where do you want to start? You want to start on Twitter? Yeah, let's start on Twitter. All right, then, bet. All right, so we're going to start with a Jonathan Keogh, at John Keogh, at John Keogh, J-O-N-K-E-O. I hope I haven't butchered that. Would you accept a trade for Ben Simmons if it didn't involve the Jays? And if so, are there any other Celtics you wouldn't include in the trade? Uh, you want to take that one first, bro? Oh, yeah, this is an easy one. I, <laughs> if, if we're keeping the Jays, trade whatever else and give me Ben Simmons. Like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, within reason of giving set whatever the max amount of picks is plus everybody, like, if it takes, you know, there's so to answer the other part of the question first, no, but if we're going to get Ben Simmons, nobody physically on the roster is off limits other than the Jays. Because I think, you know, we've talked about this. Uh, Greg has said this as well. Ben Simmons is almost a perfect pairing for the Jays from the standpoint of what they'd be able to do collectively from a defensive standpoint. And offensively, clearly a guy who's very reluctant to shoot, but is a top-tier playmaker. Him and Jalen in transition sounds like an absolute monster. This guy's willing to, to be that facilitator, to be that playmaker that we're hoping the Jays can be, and we're trying to get them to kind of level up in that sense. You add him into this mix, you know, that is incredibly dynamic, gives the Celtics a ton of versatility offensively, defensively. Um, I think it's a no-brainer to go ahead and bring in Brent Simmons if you can get that done. Uh, you know, now the part of getting that done, I don't know if that's possible, but this is the exact type of the, the framing of this question is what when you see the Celtics have been monitoring the Ben Simmons situation, it's for this opportunity. It's because they're not going to give up either of the Jays. Their interest is done as soon as Jalen Brown's name comes up for Ben Simmons. But if they can get Ben Simmons without giving up the Jays, that's a no brainer slam dunk. None, nobody's off limits for me. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same thing. I mean, obviously, I'd love it to not include Romeo and Angford, but that's just a <laughs> personal preference at this point. And I don't feel I'm, what's the right way of putting this? I don't feel like I'm in a position where I could be like, oh, you can't trade Romeo if it's going to bring you Ben Simmons because yeah. that's ridiculous. I, I, I'd have to get you checked by a doctor. If you yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'm not that silly. So, like, no, I, I'm completely down there. I think that, you know, if it comes to it, then you trade whoever you can other than Jalen Brown and other than uh, Jason Tatum. And yeah. if you get back Ben Simmons, then you make everything else work afterwards. Obviously, you're going to want to keep as many of your shooters around as possible. If you could do that deal but keep Grant Williams and Neesmith, then you're going to be in a lot better position than you would be if you had to trade them. But no, you build around those three. That's your big three for the next five to ten yeah. years. Yeah, 100%. I think, it, I think that's easy, especially with their ages and the way that they line up, their contracts. So even even if this year you got to give up some of those those shooters, which, you know, we talk about not having a ton of shooters. You know, even Aaron Neesmith is hypothetical shooting at this point more than it is anything that we've we've seen in an actual game. You know, like you just go ahead and do it and you'll build around Simmons, Brown, and Tatum for years to come. So I, I think that would be an easy long-term move, even if in the short term you still got to figure some stuff out roster construction-wise. That's what the so the next one we have is we have, with there being lots of talk about Ime potentially changing the starting lineup, if you were in his shoes, who would you change anyone in the starting five? If yes, who? And who would you replace them for and why? You want me to go with that first? I, I want you to go first because I kind of anticipated what your answer is. And my initial, my gut feeling when I saw this question on Twitter is probably where, I, where I'm assuming you're going to go. So I already built up a different answer. So let, you take this first and let's see if you go where, where I think you're going to go. 
Yeah, so the first thing I'd do is I'd move Romeo Langford into the starting five. Yeah, that was my first um, start, and that's that's where I would have gone, but I know that's your lanes. I wanted you to take that, and I have a different answer. <laughs> you preempted the answer, dude. For I sure, like yeah. I did, this one I knew when I saw it. I was like, oh, I know Adam's. I've, I've worked with you long enough now that I knew that our brains were kind of aligned, and I was like, Adam's going to go with this one. I'll, I'll find a different route. Yeah, and I mean, one of the reasons is, and I've wrote about this actually, there'll be a piece coming out today on Thursday or tomorrow on Friday that kind of backs up this answer. So from where I'm sitting, Romeo Langford is now what? Top three defender on the Celtics right now? I'd say as a as an on-ball defender, as a point-of-attack defender, and as a help defender, does Romeo Langford probably sits comfortably among the three best defensive pieces on the team. Would you argue there? Uh I mean, I'd have to think about how you quantify like the bigs versus some of the wings, but it's in that conversation. So yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm just talking about from the on the perimeter. Maybe. Okay, yeah, I'm cool with that then. Yeah, so as a point of attack defender on the perimeter, and then obviously as a help defender helping off the weak side into the like uh, to kill drives, Romeo is probably one of the better perimeter. I should have worded it better. Better perimeter defenders on the team. Romeo's also shooting 39 percent from three. Granted, it's only two attempts a game, but it's still 39 percent from three. And he's also showing a lot more aggressiveness when driving towards the hoop. And he's kind of using his body to get in front of people more. He's fighting through contact a little bit more. He's doing all of this while playing with that second unit. Now, I will say that he played. he's played 755 non-garbage time possessions so far this season. 405 of them have came with Jason Tatum. Only 40 of them have came with him, Tatum, and Brown. And then 155 have came with him and Brown. So we can we can exclude the forty with with the two Js and Romeo simply because the sample size is too small. At which point, any unit that has Romeo, Tatum, and Brown are all um, in the pluses basically. So they're all positive plus minus and net rating units that have those three there with a large enough sample size for it to mean something. I think that what it does is it gives you three wings that can all handle the ball, pass, dribble, shoot, and defend. It makes you super versatile in the way you want to run your offense. But it also gives you three guys that can switch on the perimeter to really play Udoka's system, match up with anybody off the dribble, match up with most people when they're switching those dribble handoffs or switching those pick and rolls. And the way I'd run it is, you know, if you really want to lean into defense but still have an offensive punch without starting five, Smart, Romeo, or Smart, Brown, Romeo, Tatum, Rob. Smart, Brown, Romeo, Tatum, Al, I don't care who you put at the big, mm -hmm. but that gives you so much versatility in terms of being able to operate in that five-out system that Udoka loves where everybody starts the possession above the break. It gives you an incredible amount of perimeter defense and everyone is versatile enough to get their own shot, to work into other people's shooting mechanics, to drive and you know be a three-level scorer, basically, around the room, from the mid-range, from beyond the arc. I think that Romeo sits, fits seamlessly into this starting five more than anybody else that's currently on the bench. It's just whether or not Udoka wants to break up that two big man lineup. Yeah, I mean, I think that's number one. First of all, when you when we hear Ime talk about a potential lineup change, breaking up the double bigs is, I think, the first place you have to go is find out, okay, regardless of whether it's Rob stays in the starting lineup or Al stays in the starting lineup, that's probably where you start. And, you know, like I said, my first thought was pretty much everything you just broke down. So I don't have a ton to add to that. Um, but Romeo is because he's just a guy that I feel like has played really well, played beyond my expectations this season. And is a guy that I would just like to see get more consistent playing time. Not that he's not getting consistent playing time, but get more closer to that 20 minute mark or so and see what he looks like with, you know, his versatility being utilized and and really find out, you know, those two threes per game 
Can we get that up to two and a half, maybe closer to three, and see how real that that shooting is and that floor spacing that he could potentially provide? Uh, and so I think Romeo is, is a really good answer. So like I said, I kind of anticipated that was the lane, that was the avenue that you were going to go, Adam. So I tried to think, all right, if that's not my first option, what's the second option that I'm thinking could be a potential, you know, lineup the Suns could use. So I went to go just try and see, like, you know, what, what are some of our best five-man lineups that that we're using right now and try to give at least some form of a, of a sample size to it. So as you can imagine, one of our better lineups is just the starting lineup that we currently have right now, which has a really great defensive rating, but not not really as high of an, of an offensive rating as as you would really want it to have. And then originally to me, I thought I'd probably move Rob to the bench, keep Al in the starting lineup. And even though we talked a couple of podcasts ago about not doing this, uh, I, I'm just getting on the Grant train here, just, just for the sake of conversation. And I was going to put Grant Williams into the starting lineup. But I kind of looked through some of the five-man lineups. And, you know, some of these sample sizes are obviously skewed, especially when you factor in that, you know, Jalen Brown's missed half the season or, or whatever it is, close to half the season. So some of these are, are kind of skewed, but what I did find was a sample size of now, it's only 22 minutes so far in the season. Uh, but, you know, if you take Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Rob Williams, and then put Grant in there instead of Al Horford, that collection of five in only 22 minutes, so less than one half of basketball. So let's not let's not go crazy, but they have a 35.3 net rating with a sky-high offensive rating of 139.6 and a respectable enough 104.3 on the defensive end. So. For me, I think that's an interesting lineup change where we've seen the connection between Marcus Smart and Rob Williams. Their alley-oop connection is lethal. So you kind of leave that playmaking in there. You bring Grant in for additional spacing with the Jays. And then coming off the bench, you still have Al and Dennis with Josh Richardson and Romeo to kind of anchor the perimeter defense. And then Al and Dennis on the offensive end, you know, them using their pick-and-pop, pick-and-roll combo, Dennis using his speed to get downhill. Al giving you a little bit more versatility from a passing, scoring, defending standpoint uh, across the board with that second unit. That could be something that I think has has some merit to it. You know, like I said a few episodes ago, we talked about Grant Williams being as effective because he's coming in off the bench playing against second units, and that's that's part of what bolsters some of his numbers. But, you know, just looking at the small sample size, I think if you're looking to change it up and you're looking for something that that has a little bit of a a base to work from. This is something that that surprised me a little bit, and I think this could be an area that maybe Ime looks to, uh, and I think it gives you a lot of different elements and variety that you can use both in the first and second unit. I think it also gives you like um, incredible space. You know what yeah. I mean? Like one of the better three point shooters in the league right now in terms of percentage. Right. Obviously, we're not talking. Doesn't that sound? Doesn't, doesn't that sound crazy? Right? I mean, it's it's just a fact at this point. I mean, twenty you know twenty five games into the season, like you you can say that without feeling ridiculous when it was you know seven games into the season but like it is what it is with grant right now he's also one of the more um com- like how can i put this one of the more likely to back his teammates up if the game gets physical yeah we talked about that last show yep not letting anyone punk you and i think that's been a big thing for the celtics since they last marcus morris they need that guy i'm not saying we want people to be throwing punches but having somebody that's yeah. gonna mean mug and let you know like yo you can't do that to my man bro like ha- having that type of mentality is important. So moving him into the starting five makes a ton of sense. I also think that out of all the bench players, Grant Williams is the guy we've got the largest sample size with as a starter this year. That's been super impactful. Yeah. So I agree with you there. I think that's, um, if it weren't Romeo, I'd be very happy with Grant. I think those two are the prime candidates. 
yeah. for a permanent starting spot moving forward. So yeah, whichever way, those those are the two guys that I would expect to see if there's a change to be made. I, I would say Josh Richardson's a little bit of a wild card, but it's for very similar reasons to Romeo, I think. Um, but it would be so, something probably between the three of them would be if there's a change, they would be inserted in one of the bigs, whichever it is, to the bench is the most likely scenario. Yeah, and I kind of want to touch on why I don't think Richardson should be moved to the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. I think that Richardson's getting more usage off the bench than what he would do in that starting five, and he's very, he, he's better as a scorer when he can be on the ball more than yeah. off the ball. So I think you're actually taking away one of Richardson's best tools by putting him in the starting five. I also think if you're going to move a wing to the starting five, you don't do it for the wing that's a short-term fix. You do it for the wing that you're trying to build value in, mm-hmm. whether that be for his own development and for your and you raise your ceiling as a team because of that, or because you're developing him to flip him for as part of a deal for a star down the line. Either way you want to do, it's fine with me. Um, but I still think you give the young guy that's shown an ability to play the starting minutes the, the opportunity over a guy that's here for the next 18 months maximum. So that would be why yeah. I'd... I'd favor Grant or Romeo over Richardson. Not that I don't think Richardson's good, because I do. Um, I just don't think it makes sense from a, a team-building standpoint beyond this season. So that would be why. Now, while you were talking, you might have known I was like, you know, I was chopping things up. I, was doing, <laughs> I never know what you're up to over there, man. I never, yeah, I never so. know what you're doing back there, Adam. The meatloaf. Adam, the meatloaf. The meatloaf. <laughs> So what I what I was doing was I like putting the questions up on the screen for anybody watching on YouTube. If you're not following the YouTube channel and you prefer to watch than not watch, then definitely head over to YouTube, Adam Taylor NBA. Every episode of this podcast is getting put up on there. And I'm doing some more things visually to make it so that you're kind of missing out a little bit if you're not at least checking it out. More importantly, hit that subscribe button. Thank you for listening to my TED Talk. Here we go. So the next questions we got, we got a two part. It's two different people asking very similar questions. Um, these are from Instagram. You're not following me on Instagram, Adam Taylor NBA. Make sure to hit me up on IG. Um, right. So the first one we've got is off Laura Celtics Leeds. Leeds is a place in England for anybody that knows because does a good festival. Does Dennis go? And who do you think comes in? So you know, if does Dennis get traded? If you do, who are you getting back? And the other one is from Monty underscore Carlo as in O as in zero. Do you think that's a scenario where we re-sign Schroeder? So I thought there was a good juxtaposition between these yeah. two questions. So let's do it in a one take, man. I answered the last one first. You answered one first. I answered yeah. one first. We're back to you, my guy. All right, man. I got this. So first off, shout out to Carl and Laura. Appreciate the questions. Um, so let, let, let's take the, the second question first. I think that impacts the, the first question. So I don't think the Celtics re-signed Schroeder, and it's really a lot of it just has to do with cap logistics. You know, I know Chris Forsberg had pointed out that the Celtics, with having him on the roster this year, can get a little bit of leeway to get up to, I think it's somewhere around like $7.5 million with, I forget the name of the rule that allows you to then sign a, a player that you have on your roster to go above and beyond. So it gets you to about $7.5 million or something roughly like that, that you can offer Dennis Schroeder. I just think he's 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 played regardless of how you feel, and this includes you, Adam. You know, he's certainly probably played above his weight of his, you know, five and a half million dollars, just under six million dollars salary. And so I, I just think with the way that our cap sheet looks in the offseason, it's probably gonna be too tough unless he's just loves it here and he's willing to take like a two year, fourteen million dollar deal, which, you know, I'm sure a guy that lost out on, you know, a four year eighty-four million dollar contract is not looking to settle back in into that mode. And so somebody 
it is going to pay him more. I don't know if he's going to get that 84 again, but something probably more than seven. So um, even though I I think Dennis Schroeder has immense value to this team when put in the right scenario, I don't see a way in which he'd probably come back. So to that, that brings us back to Laura's question about do I see Dennis Schroeder being traded? And if so, what comes back? Does Dennis go and who do you think comes in is her exact question. So to me, the way I view it, and I said this a couple a couple shows ago, if Schroeder's traded, I think it's right up at or around the deadline. Like, I don't think he's getting moved anytime soon. I think the trade deadline's like February 10th or something like that. Like, if he gets moved, this is a February move that we're talking about with, with Schroeder. And what it means to me is if we're trading Schroeder, there's two two ways in which it happens. One, we just know this season is it's not going to happen. So what are, we, what, what, what's a, what are we doing here with a guy that we're going to be in the play-in or we're going to be – you know, a team that we that we just know this is not a team that's going to have a chance to, if the cards break right, take that next step. And so while his talent is helpful, it's not, it's not going anywhere this year. Let's recoup some assets. And that's where in that scenario, I envision us trying to get, you know, a team like Denver or ironically, even a team like the Lakers that they don't have a ton of, it's, his salary is only 5.9 million right now. So teams that are that are hard up against the cap that don't have a lot to to really offer, they can offer you picks and just give you you know some minimum guys to match salaries. And we have TPEs, so we can kind of go in and accept that. And that would be the kind of trade that I see for Dennis Schroeder. The other one would be if a larger move is made, and that five point nine gets you to a certain place where you're making a trade with the future in mind. And that's just a salary that you need to, to to make it work. And maybe the other team wants to go flip Dennis Schroeder or do whatever, you know, then I could see him being used in a trade. But I think if the Celtics find themselves in the mix, and by in the mix, I mean, hey, we, we feel pretty good that with this grouping together, we're going to get a top six seed. If we get a couple of breaks, if we continue to gel, if we start to see some some momentum and some progress throughout the season, we're going to keep this guy because ultimately – What's going to be the best for us long term is us definitively knowing that, you know, looking to the Jays, hey, we have proof that we just put we just put a real deep scare in the Nets or the Bucks in the second round or we, we shocked somebody and we ended up in the conference finals again. Or maybe there's an injury or COVID, which is everywhere right now. Something happens and we somehow end up, you know, back our way into the finals. That's a, it's a very long, you know, small possibility of that last one. But I think the other two could potentially still be on the table. That's how much promise this team has. And I think Schroeder would ultimately help that. And so even if he walks for nothing, getting us to that point of, of even though we already have experience, but experience with the Jays as being the guys, that would be more important than a late first round pick or two second round pick. So I think he would stay. So a li- little bit long-winded there, Adam. I went a couple different ways with no, it. That's fine, Tried man. to bring them both in there. So so hopefully you can give me give me a little bit off of that. Yeah, I mean, so look, man, take as long as you need to get through these trains of thoughts because I know I do, you know, and I never feel no way about it. And I'd much rather you give thought for Lampers anyway. So uh, take as long as you need, brother. Um, And I mean that wholeheartedly. Uh, How can I, you see, you've covered so much now, but all right. So the one thing I'd say that the only reason I see Dennis Schroeder being a trade target is because the Celtics have this TPE. So I don't think that, you know, so the first thing to know is you can't say, right, say that just to make things simple, say there's a $10 million TPE, say Dennis Schroeder rounds $6 million. So you're rounding up and rounding down where you need to. That doesn't give you $16, worth, $16 million worth of trade value. You still, if you're using the TPE, you still only have that $10 million TPE. Schroeder's 
salary then just becomes irrelevant. Schroeder's more important for the team elsewhere. So if you've got a team that are blowing it up and they're looking to shred some salary, and you're like, man, I don't know, let's use Covington for an example and say Covington earns $9 million for a year. Again, this is all um, hypothetical. So you're like, man, I really think Robert Covington could improve this team. Really do. And I think if we gave Pritchard more minutes, it would work. Oh, Portland want to get off Covington and they're willing to take Schroeder for six months. Okay, cool. So we'll take Covington using the TPE and they can take Schroeder. That way you get a piece back that's on a longer term deal and they get a piece back that expires in six months. That works because you not you can't amalgamate Schroeder's contract, contract with the TPE, but you can send Schroeder out as long as the incoming value doesn't exceed your TPE. Now, that's a possibility. The one reason I don't think that happens is because, in my opinion, unless the Celtics feel like they're going to be getting to a conference finals or a finals, they're going to want to get underneath the tax. Or they're going to want to be, you know, just around about where they are. Again, you don't go to the effort of getting a TPE without using it, but maybe you use it towards the end of the year. But if that was the re- if they were going to move Schroeder, that would be the reason I think they did it because there was a player elsewhere on a bit of a bigger deal that fits inside that TPE and Schroeder's a good piece to be like, hey, you can have him for six months. He ain't going to be great to watch. He's going to drive your fans nuts. But at the end of it, you save that $6 million, you know? Yeah, throwing shrapnel everywhere, bro. Um, but I do like what you're saying as well. Like, if he, if you genuinely believe he holds enough value that in the playoffs, he's going to be a difference maker in at least two games in a series where you're like, man, if we didn't have Dennis Schroeder, we would have dropped that game. Then you keep him because he is, no matter how much I have a disdain for his playing style, no matter how much he's, uh, the Dennis Schroeder coaster drives me insane. It drives me nuts. The fact of the matter is he's a steal at 5.9. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's a steal and you can't deny that. I just, but in my opinion, I think that we've had so many years of watching players leave for nothing recently that 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 brad stevens isn't going to want to let a piece leave for nothing so soon his in his reign type yeah. of thing do you know what i mean so I, that I agree would be with that. moving on I, I think the biggest difference with that element though is that a lot of times we've seen guys that are you know 20 30 million dollar type players that leave for nothing where you know even though dennis schroeder's on a steal he's a 5.9 million dollar contract that's leaving so that's to me where i think it's it's not as it's not as bad as having Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, Al the first time guys who are you know more impactful in many ways, both on your salary cap and on the court. Leave as it would be for for Dennis Schroeder, but ultimately, I think there's really two ways this breaks down. I think if they can gouge somebody for a draft pick, you know, for for some type of first round pick um, at the deadline, and we just don't see ourselves as true contenders, I think that they make that deal. Or I think if they think that we can make a little bit of a run here in the in the playoffs, even if that's just being fringe Eastern Conference finalists getting to that second round, I think they keep them. I think those, in my mind, are the are the two ways that play out, and they're going to wait, like I said, until sometime in early February before they decide going either route. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think that's about fair. The only thing I would push back on with the uh, he's a five point five point nine million dollar player. He is, but he's playing at the level of like a 12 to 14 million sure. dollar player. So the asset you get back, like, should kind of match the level that he's playing at, especially mm-hmm. due to the contract, right? And what I mean by that is, if he was a 5.9 million dollar dude that wasn't really doing too much, you're getting a second round pick at best back, yeah. right? 
what you're saying to a team is here's a guy on less than six million dollars playing like a 14 million dollar a year guy what are you going to give me to get him you know we want a good first round pick or we want a solid veteran that's going to come in and improve and i think so where i completely get what you're saying when you're not losing an all-star for free yeah you're not losing a foundational piece that you're building around for nothing but what you are losing is a guy that's very, very valuable to teams around the league in terms of um, cost versus production, right? And I think that the assets you could get back would be, you know, I'm not saying you're going to get a superstar. I'd be shocked if you even got a top 10 pick. You know, these picks are going to yeah. come in with protections. Oh, for but, sure. And I've said this a million times. The thing with draft picks is you can always sell people on the dream. Draft picks are far more valuable until they become players. You can sell a guy on a dream of... Celtics know that very well. Yeah, it's very well. You know, you sell people on the dream of, imagine what this draft pick could become. We'll give you this draft pick. So giving that to the Celtics, right, the Celtics probably 90% likely aren't going to use that pick at all. But what it gives them is it gives them another trade asset further down the line. Schroeder is here for six more months. Uh, If you pick up a 2023 draft pick out of it, or maybe a a two firsts, if his team really, really desperate, well, you've got two trade assets that are controlled over the next 18 months. That gives Brad Stevens more room to maneuver in that trade market, 100. in that frame. And I think that's why you do it, because it, it's although Schroeder is impactful for the now, getting back trade chips is impactful for the future. And Brad yep. Stevens is definitely building on a longer, ter- longer time scale than what we're kind of looking at right now. So um, that would be my reasoning to move on from Schroeder, just for that for long-term sure. manipulation. There. Yeah, I, I think uh, teams to look out that are going to be interested in Schroeder are going to be those playoff teams that need a little something else. Yeah. And like I said, that's why I brought up, ironically, the Lakers, the Nets, the Nuggets. You know, I'm just ripping some teams off the you know top of my head here because not all these teams necessarily need who the type of player Dennis Schroeder is, but a lot of them just don't have a lot of room to be able to go get somebody to go make yeah. a trade but they can absorb 5.9. You can you can use RTPE, you can you can scramble together a couple minimum guys and then send some first round picks back. So I, I think those would be the type of teams to look out for that would have interest in a guy like Schroeder. Yeah. And if it's not one of those high end playoff teams, it's gonna be a playing team that feels like Schroeder is the guy that gets them into the playoffs, right? Yeah. Team so you desperate know, for the playoffs, maybe. Yeah, could be a Wizards. If the Wizards feel like they're playing candidates, yeah. they they're might want to take right them. Too. Yep, real bad, real bad. Bradley Beal's been bad, bad. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a different topic for a different day. <laughs> I've got my thoughts on that too. Um, but yeah, so it's either going to be a playoff team or a team in the plane looking to make it. So I do think there's value there in Schroeder. I see the reasons to keep him. I see the reasons to move him. Uh, ultimately, we're not going to know until the end. What is it, February 15th? Uh, I have to look at it. I, th- I thought it was February 10th, but it, it's it's early to mid-February. It was February 15th last year, if I remember correctly, so it's probably different this year. Yeah, I'll look it up here. But until then, yeah, while while Will's doing that, you can hear my voice continue to talk. I do <laughs> dislike Schroeder's level of type of play, but I do completely understand the value that he holds. And right now we're going to go to break while Will looks this up. <laughs> Hold on here. What year are we in here? It's supposed to be 2022, so let's get this here.
February 10th. Yeah, February 10th. February 10th. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed those lovely <laughs> ads. It's going to be February 10th. We got to put right some now. of that like waiting music in there where it's like your show will resume. And just like some like, dude. Well, I used to be really good at that, dude. I used to be really good at telling people when the ad breaks were starting. And I need to do that again because right now the ads kind of just drop in. So, uh, you know, I'll fit the ads in there and we'll carry on. There we go. So the next question we have is from Lion Chu. I can't pronounce it. I'm really sorry. Lion Chu. Um, do the Celtics have the right personnel for the system Udoka wants to implement? I have my thoughts and feelings on this. You're up first on this one, man. Okay, so I think that the Celtics have enough personnel for the system that Udoka wants to implement. I don't think all of the players on the roster currently fit. You know, Ennis Udoka does not Ennis Udoka. Ennis Freedom does not <laughs> does not fit what Udoka's trying to do. Juancho Hernan Gomez does not fit what Udoka's trying to do. Neither does Jabari Parker. But that's the reason why they're 13, 14, and 15 down on the rotation, right? If you look at Marcus Smart, Jalen, Jason, Romeo, Neesmith, uh, who else have we got? Hawford, Grant, Rob. These guys all fit the system. They all can defend. They can all do something offensively. They're very switchable. Uh, even Rob's doing a good job of guarding out in the perimeter then switching back into the post. They're, they're very versatile on the defensive end as well as the offensive end. And I think that's what Udoka wants, right? Like, um, I feel like the reason that Freedom's having good minutes at the moment is because Udoka learned to switch one through four and let Freedom drop. But there's this, a clip that's etched into my mind from uh, that Milwaukee game where there was a dribble handoff on the perimeter Schroeder went with the guy that received the ball off the handoff rather than switching on to the big that handed the ball off. Left the big man to pop. And what had happened was, because Ennis Freedom's in drop, Schroeder should have switched, but he didn't because he, he didn't, like he thought he was used to playing with Rob. Freedom had just come in. So, he, you know, if Rob was still on the floor, Rob would have switched on to the big and it didn't happen. And then what happens? The ball handler kicks back out to the big above the three-point line, wide open, free uncontested. And I think this is where not having at least nine guys, 10 guys that can fit within that system can become problematic because you have to realize like, oh, freedom's in. We're switching one through four. When this handoff action occurs now, I can't I can't stick with my man. I've got to switch back onto the big because freedom's in drop. He's going to pick him up as he drives into the paint. And I think that that's what part of the problem. Now, I think Peyton Pritchard doesn't fit with this system uh, simply because he can be hunted on defense. Neesmith, I think, thinks, fits quite well, actually. I just don't think he's been given the opportunity yet. Um, but overall, I think they've got enough pieces there to be successful with what Udoka's trying to do. I think it's just more about playing as a collective rather than as an individual. Um, and that's something that we saw against Milwaukee them do well. But it's also something we saw them do well against Portland, only to go and play individualistic basketball for the following three games. So the pieces are definitely there. Could they have more of them? Of course. But you tell me more than three teams in the league that have the perfect roster for the system that they've run. You know yeah. what I mean? You do. You're a contender. When you don't, you're not. It's that simple. The Lakers have all the great pieces. They have LeBron James, Anthony Davis. I wouldn't call Russell, Russell Westbrook a great piece, but he's a great player. You know what I mean? Carmelo yeah. Anthony has become a fantastic bench player. I think he's actually having a really kind of like resurgent year in LA. Uh, and he was solid last year as well for Portland. Um, so the Lakers have solid pieces, but the pieces don't fit the system. And now you see the inconsistencies. New York last year had players that fit a system. What happened? They made the playoffs for the first time since most people have been alive. Um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> 
This year, they bring in two guys that just don't fit the system at all. What happens? There's an imbalance in the roster, and all of a sudden, they've lost seven of their last nine games. Interesting fact: those seven, those nine games that like they've lost seven of nine. Yeah, those losses have all come since they removed Kemba Walker from their rotation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So maybe it weren't Kemba's fault, everybody. But it, my point is the fact that you can make moves and not know how it's going to affect your roster. And if you're not perfectly balanced, like the Suns, like the Jazz, like the, like the Warriors are, things aren't going to go well. If anyone used to yeah. watch South Park growing up, if you pizza when you should have French fried, you're not going to have a good time. <laughs> That's a nice South Park reference right there. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in a, a pretty, pretty good alignment with everything that, that you said. I mean, I think for me, defensively, you know, up to a certain point, I think this kind of matches what Ime is looking for. And what I think, what I feel like Ime is looking for overall is is two way versatility from everyone that he puts out there, one through eight, nine, or ten, depending on you know how comfortable he feels going there. And, and you know, up until you get to you know Enos Freedom, you you, you kind of have that take out Peyton Pritchard and like you know you, you have about nine or ten guys that you can roughly do that with. But you touched on you know a, a team like like the Knicks or you know a few others here where it gets to this point of balance. And this is the one thing with this roster for me is that when Ema is looking for this two-way versatility, it leans too heavily on the defensive end versus the offensive end for me. And that's where I think we see, you know, so much of this because in today's, you know, modern NBA, let's just be real. It's, it's, People score. People get. There's so much variance with the three-point line. People are going to get buckets. These guys are so talented. A lot of the rules, even though it's been you know a little bit more physical this year, they're still geared towards the offense. What do fans come to see? Nobody wants to go back to those Pistons Celtics you know NBA playoff series with the score 66 to 64. Like that just ain't happening. You know what I mean? So so that vision of of the NBA is dead. That ain't that ain't coming back, and nobody really wants it. So you know, for me, that's where I look to. Does this roster fit his system? I think defensively it leans yes. I think offensively it leans no. It's too our roster's a little bit too imbalanced in that sense. And that's why I think you see so many of the highs and lows. You see the highs where, hey, if Dennis Schroeder goes five of seven, if Al Horford hits three out of four from three, if Josh Richardson goes two for four, if Marcus goes, you know, two for five or whatever, hey, you know what? Jalen Brown's awesome. Jason Tatum's awesome. Rob Williams is going to give you that vertical threat. This team's this team is going to look way better. And on offense, they're going to look great. They're going to look like everything works. The system's clicking. But when you have guys that are inconsistent, erratic shooters that have a lifetime, they're not just you know like Romeo and, and Grant. We'll see how how real and sustainable that shooting is. It's still so young in their career that you just have to go with where they're at right now. Some of these other guys, you have eight years, seven years of sample sizes that are like. Hey, this guy is consistently year in and year out a 32 to 35% three-point shooter. And that's what teams are going to gamble off and that's where I think we see a lot of the the imbalance of of this roster. So there's skill there's a lot of skill on this roster. It's imperfect and I think it's a little bit imbalanced for how strictly Ime wants to stick to his system of being versatile on both ends of the court and I would like to see him lean a little bit more towards Letting, letting the offense get a little bit more consistent, which means more time for Neesmith, maybe more time for Pritchard, and, and just honestly having more balance within the substitutions. But that's, 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 that would be my answer to that question. Yeah, and I think, that we, I think that we do have a lot of alignment there. Like The balance is very important, knowing who, what your personnel is on the roster already. As you said, knowing, knowing lifetime statistics rather than a, like a six-week sample size. That's key to knowing who's going to fit and who's not going to fit. You know, And then obviously, you need to look at, are players willing to expand their game? 
you look at um, Blake Griffin or Brooke Lopez, mm-hmm. big men that were very back to the basket, very athletically reliant. They were willing to expand their game. They put the work in. Now they're two of the better stretch bigs in the league from the time of, you know, from their era. You know, yeah, I mean, even, even Al's a good example of that. If you look at Al, exactly, first, yeah. you know, six years or whatever it is of his career, he didn't shoot threes. And it's really been only the second half of his career that he's become a three-point shooter. And this has not been a, a great year for Al shooting threes. It's usually he's in that 35 to you know 37 range, somewhere in there. This year, I think he's hovering around 29, 30%. But that's been a huge revolu- revelation for him within his own game as well. And the thing is, like, for fans and, like, people like us that we're not around the team in any sort of coaching capacity, I think even for people with access to the training facility don't can't really get a read on whether a guy is willing or not willing. Because the players are always going to tell you the right thing because yeah. they're coached on how to deal with the media, right? But, like, only the actual coaching staff know whether that guy is in the gym at nighttime getting extra reps in on his three-point shooting, whether that wing is running ball handling drills to improve his handling skills to fit within the system better. You saw clips the other day, uh, Jay King put them out of Peyton Pritchard, just being there, putting extra reps in, trying to guard on Jalen, just to improve his defense and understand how to shade guys to their weekend. Only the coaching staff know which players are putting the work in to improve towards being viable in a specific system. But when when you know that these guys aren't where they should be now, and if the coach doesn't feel like they're going to get there or put the work in required to get there, you move on from those guys because otherwise you end up sitting uh, $8 million a year point guard that was a former All-Star for two years. Sorry, Knicks fans. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a bit of like um, we have to throw a bit of conjecture in there just to kind of fill in the blanks. But I completely agree, man. I think we're quite aligned on that discussion. One final question before we let everybody get up out of her. See what I did there? Her. Remember Nelly? Yeah, and who else was there as well? There was um, I like it when you put it right there. Right there. Oh, that's little chingy, little chingy right chingy, there. Yeah, St. Yeah, Louis, a... like Jason Tatum. Is it really? Actually, they're all St. Louis. They're all St. Louis dudes. Yeah. Yeah. One chord away. If the Celtics look to make a trade, should they trade the vets, the young guys, or a mix? It's on uh, you. You know what to me. do. It's on My me, baby. reference right there. Yo, be rabbit. It's on you. You know what to do. <laughs> Screw a beat. I can go acapella. Had to edit myself. Um, all right. So uh, pull the question up one more time. Let's see what we got here. If the Celtics look to make a trade, should they trade the vets, young guys, or a mix? I mean, this is a tough one without knowing the rest of the context of, of who's of who's coming in. I mean, this. I think this ultimately just goes back to our question with, you know, Ben Simmons. Uh, for me, depending on what's coming in, those are the only guys that are off limits unless you are willing to go above the moon. Like, I'm not even talking Jays, you know, and, for, and so that, that pretty much takes them off the table. So if you take off the Jays, I don't have any, like, prescription of I'd prefer to trade the young guys versus the veterans. It depends who's coming back as to who I'm willing to to move and throw in picks into that mix as well for future assets. Um, you know, other than the Jays, for me, if it's the right move and it makes sense, both either in the present or the future, or ideally the present and the future, then I don't really have, like, I don't think there's, I think there's only two untouchable guys on this roster unless you come at me with, you know, with a, uh, you know, with a gold, with a chest full of gold coins that I can't turn down. Like there's, there's just not much that can't be moved within reason on this roster. So that that's, that's about the best answer I can give without, without there being more context to it. Did you go to Cranbrook? Cranbrook. 
Cranbrook? <laughs> That's a private school. <laughs> but I know something about you. Anyway, no, I completely agree. I think that, you know, you don't say we only trade the vets. You don't say we only trade the young guys. You do these, um, you, you make these decisions on a deal by deal basis where that value is, right? Like, if you're bringing back a guy who's 33, well, it makes completely no sense whatsoever to start giving up young assets to bring him in. Regardless of his contract situation, he's still 33. Yeah. If you're bringing in a guy that's 26, well, now you can probably talk yourself into parting ways with a veteran piece for salary and then a young guy to kind of help build out that deal and give a bit of value back, you know? So it all, uh, age, impact, and production are all very important to me. And impact and production are completely different for me. You know, you can have a guy averaging four points a game, but he impacts winning tremendously with the other stuff he does on the floor, a la Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. Um you can have a guy that's producing 22 points a night, but is absolutely awful for the system, a la Dennis Schroeder. And so impact production are very different. But if you've got age, control um, in terms of contract, yep. um, production and impact, and they all align with what you're trying to achieve, and they're available for a package that you can piece together of young guys and vets with some picks, then you make that happen. Yeah. But if they're, um, you know, if they're a little bit older and they only fill two of the four boxes, then, you know, so maybe they give you um, impact and they give you control because you've got two more years yeah. of them. I, I'm just like, yo, resale value on old cars isn't high, man. So why do you think you resale <laughs> yeah. value on this player that's legs are about to drop off? Is going to be anywhere, any better? So, uh, yeah, I think everything's on a deal-by-deal basis, personally. For sure, for sure. And I, the only other aspect I would add into what you said, Adam, is the fit. You know, yeah. you, you talk a lot about the roster fit, and it's like, is this a fit now and into the future? And especially when everything kind of has to be looked through the the shades of what does this mean for the Jays, yeah. you know, and, and how does that fit work? So that's the only other thing I would add to that. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be all about context in that situation. Remove the Jays. Everybody's in play within reason depending on what's coming back. I completely concur, man. I concur. I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a great place for us to, to wrap this up. I know. I wish we had a live crowd right now because I'd let them do that <laughs> cheer, you know, like at the end of the rap battles where you can see who won. Like, who, yeah. <laughs> but we didn't, you know, epic rap battles of history. You decide. <laughs> um, if you've if you enjoyed, I love epic rap battles of history, man. If you've enjoyed this show, then make sure to go um, hit subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, hit that share button if you're listening on any single device known to humankind. If you're on an Apple device, scroll down, hit those five stars, write something really nice, really friendly. Makes me smile, wakes Will smile, makes Greg smile. And to be honest, who doesn't want to smile on a Friday? Isn't that the whole point of it being a Friday? I think it's the point of it being a Friday, right? You smile, then you drink, then you forget that you smiled, and then you drink more. (laughs) If you don't use an Apple device, then I'm going to kick it over to my boy Will here, and Will's going to tell you what you need to do. Look to your left, look to your right, tell those around you, go listen to Celtics Blog Podcast, come hang out with Adam, Will, and Greg each and every time, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Come get it. We will catch you again on Monday. Everybody have a good weekend, stay out of trouble. Make sure you have some fun because, you know, the holidays are right around the corner. And if this was, um, you know, if we ever got sponsored by Coca-Cola, this is where I would have put that holidays are coming. Holidays are coming. <laughs> All right, the classic ad. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the, the goat ad, the goat Christmas <laughs> ad. 
Everybody stay safe. Have a good weekend. Disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless. Every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything. I am, it's something that I do